I'd like to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 1, and uh, we're reading Luke's account, his observations of uh, what action took place uh, following Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the activation and the deployment of the early church. In fact, all 28 chapters of uh, Acts, the whole book, is a snapshot, it's a prototype, it's actually a pattern uh, of uh, what we uh, can and uh, ought to expect. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an echoing of John 14, 12. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. And what he was letting us in on was, that the Holy Spirit will come upon all flesh and what was just sort of occasional on some of these Hebrew prophets or leaders or different unique moments uh, will now become uh, uh, just proliferated and spread out throughout to all that, that would call upon him. And it says, uh, it says first, the first account I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up into heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing, or the King James says, infallible proofs, uh, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. How many of you think that would have been a great 40-day seminar? with a profound guest speaker. And the subject matter had to be amazing. Well, it was about the kingdom of God. Well, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. Now, this is, you know, this also echoes Luke's gospel. Luke, the physician, itemized that and that's where the, they op God opened their minds to understand the scriptures and they were getting all excited and enthusiastic but yet he said wait a minute till you're you're clothed with power from on high and then it says in verse 5 for John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now so when they had come together they were asking him saying Lord is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel because, you know, in fact, he is the Jewish Messiah, and the early church were all Jewish people, and they had the law and the prophets, and they were specified and, and, uh, and focused upon, and God was clarifying to them things that he did, was doing, and will do. And they were wondering, is this going to be the consummation of the age? And they're thinking, this is all going to be restored, but yet God had some things he wanted to do, so... He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. That's a strong paragraph right there at the beginning of this book, and it's after his resurrection, and it's before his ascension. And for 40 days, he's communicating these things. And apparently, the principal thing is, uh, you know, don't get preoccupied with the times and the epochs, but you will be filled with the Holy Spirit, 
and the purpose of this outpouring would be so that they would be effective to reach people with the gospel and communicate good news. Now, later on, Peter got to lead Cornelius, the, the centurion, the Roman centurion to the Lord in chapter 10. And, but right before that, in chapter 7, uh, Stephen, the deacon, uh, got up and preached a, an, a sort of a synopsis of Hebrew history and they got mad and they stoned him. But then the gospel spread out. But one person that was there in hearty agreement with his stoning was a man named Saul of Tarsus. He was uh, breathing insults and, and threats against the people of God. And he was trying to stop Christianity in its tracks. But yet God got a hold of him. You know, it's amazing. God got a hold of Peter, the rough fisherman up in Galilee. And he got a hold of Matthew, the tax gatherer. And he got a hold of Paul who was Saul of Tarsus, and turned all those men around. Peter said, Peter had insecurity and he had issues. He said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. You know, Matthew was unliked by everybody because he was a tax man. And uh, there, there was just a lot of dysfunction present. In fact, everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But it's remarkable how the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all flesh and these interesting characters would end up being anointed or empowered by God and have impartation in their lives in order to bring the gospel out into the world. Peter was called to reach the Jews primarily. Paul was called to reach the Gentiles. I am a product of this moment. You are too. This is the inception of the church. This is the birth of God's dream to reactivate people and deploy us out uh, to have with signs and wonders following. Keep your hand in that place and go to Mark chapter 15. I mean, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 16. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Back there, Mark. This is Mark's gospel. Chapter 16 and verse 15. We'll read 14. Afterward, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at the table. He, he he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. So there's this presence of unbelief and hardness of heart in these people he's about to deploy, and he does it anyway. And then he said to them, to those guys as well as everybody else, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, any deadly poison, it shall not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Now, Jesus is downloading guidance to the early church, and for that matter, he is downloading guidance to us in 2020. He is basically revealing to us, hey man, I want you guys to take hold of all that I have for you because I'm about ready to launch you out and get you out there to a place that you've never been before into opportunities that you never even dreamed could happen. I've designed you and wired you for the supernatural. God is supernatural. It's extraordinary what we believe. We believe there's a God and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. We believe in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
I had a friend who was theological and he said, man, I figured out the Trinity, but then I forgot. And, and it was funny because we finite human beings don't have a point of reference to figure out God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we accept and believe by faith. The idea of an invisible yet real Holy Spirit to some is dismissible mythology, but to a believer, it's the very power of God. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. And when you experience salvation through Jesus, the lights go on and the games begin. And the fight of faith is before us. It's, I think, amazing and significant that these works and greater works shall you do because we, he goes to be with the Father. I printed up a who we are in Christ. And I, I, uh, because of Jesus, I am complete in him. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm a new creation. And then on one part, I said, these works, I will do even greater works than Jesus. The proofreader at the printer called our office. She said, excuse me, there's a typo here. And we said, what part? And they, she said, John 14, 12, you said that you would do greater works than Jesus. And that, that you know, and we, so we had to explain to her, well, actually, that's what the Bible says. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around. Um, I've heard different people explain it. It's quantitative and you know, qualitative. Jesus, of course, and we've been studying on Friday night, he opened the blind eyes of blind Bartimaeus and then others. He reached out and touched the man with leprosy and the leprosy was cleansed. We read about the Syrophoenician, the Syrian woman, the Gentile that had a daughter that was uh, vexed with an evil spirit and she got delivered. Jairus, the synagogue official that, whose daughter was dying or almost, I guess, in a coma. And then also the woman with the hemorrhage for 12 years. They both got radically healed. And we see it over and over and over and over again. And then we see this commission going to all the world and that these signs will follow those who believe. We see the, the people at the time saying, Lord, are you at this time restoring the kingdom to Israel? And like so much preoccupation with the end times and so much desire for interpretation. And yet here he's saying, listen, it's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. No one knows the hour or the day. We should look longingly for the gathering up of the church and then the second coming of Jesus and the consummation of the age. And no question about it. He that's fixed his hope there on those things will purify himself or herself even as he is pure. That's good and that's important. But to get preoccupied, preoccupied with times uh, is not necessarily healthy because no man knows the hour or the day. Uh, yet, you know, we trust God that, you know, we, we keep encouraging one another with it because we know it eventually will happen. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even the remotest parts of the earth. Wow. I was reading about Paul and how I just finished the book of Romans and how he said that he preached... I still have one more chapter and then I'll be finished. He, he, he preached with the power of signs and wonders. Uh, it says in chapter 15, verse 19, he said, uh, in the power of signs and wonders and the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem, round about as far as Illyricum, 
I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Paul understood Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Everybody say Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And if you look at your maps in the Bible, they're in there for a reason. You can look and actually see the geography of what these Jewish believers in the early church were thinking about and how they were, they were taking and, and going out, even though there was no mass transit, there was no... Uh, radio or telephone or television or any such thing, no, no airliners. And yet, this young, fledgling group of champions uh, activated and, and, and filled with the Holy Spirit went out with the power of signs and wonders. Illyricum is up there in northern part of Macedonia. Illyricum is actually where we work in Kosovo. And there's actually a restaurant named Illyricum in an area there. And so it's fascinating to me to think that that was, for Paul, the uttermost parts of the earth. I feel like it's the uttermost parts for us because you have to fly from here to another city in America. Then you fly from that city to Vienna. Then you have to wait there for a while or London. And then you have to, and there are very few flights that go into Skopje, Macedonia or into Pristina, Kosovo. We didn't even fly into Pristina for years. We had to fly into Skopje, and then I remember driving a taxi, and the reason I remember it is because I got seasick in the car. I didn't throw up in the car, but I was queasy for five hours. I remember the blown-up bridges. I remember the carpet bombs. I remember the cruise missile that blew up the police station. And more particularly, I remember how broken-hearted all the people were in the village we served in. But even as far as Illyrican, the gospel was preached. He said, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And he said, for thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. That really appeals to me to be a pioneer and not try to overlap and not try to copy and just figure out where we could get people saved that maybe haven't considered Jesus for themselves. So I, I want you to look at the book of Acts because it says you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. You'll be, you'll be my bearers of the information. I, there's somebody in here who will go unnamed who has jury duty and um, they're going to listen to the witnesses. They're going to be on the witness stand. There will be discussion between the, you know, the attorneys, the prosecutors and then the defense and they're going to listen to the case and there will be a judge there'll be a jury and but there will be witnesses that will attest to that com and communicate what information they have gathered i'm the product of of spirit-filled spirit-led witness that i think is super critical in this hour i didn't get saved at a billy graham crusade although when he came here in 1999 our church supported that the guy that was in charge of it said, we gave the most of any church in the bi-state area to that uh, gathering because I believed in the viability and power of that kind of outreach. Billy Graham himself, he got saved in the bleachers at a baseball field when Mordecai Ham preached the gospel when he was a young person. He understood the value of that. He went on through his life emulating the way he got saved. So I got saved from one-on-one -on -one people with, filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with conviction and filled with the word, filled with a prayerfulness and a thoughtfulness, communicating. So I feel responsible to activate people in this place 
to be equipped, trained, and sent. Similar to, don't go till you're clothed with power from on high. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and these signs and wonders will follow you. And I, I'm telling you, we're coming into a moment now, I'm convinced, where we're going to see uh, a lot of opportunity to communicate where people were previously closed off. And I believe that there's going to never be a great, it's a critical hour for us to see signs, wonders, and miracles take place in and through what we do going forward. And so uh, I think about Peter and Paul and how you see their humanity. I don't see them with halos on stained glass windows. I see them as flawed human beings that had a touch from God. And I think that's the correct way that we're to see these guys. I think if either of them were to be here and speak to us, they'd say, please, we're not, we're not gods. In fact, they even said that to these guys, and they said, no, 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 he's God, we're not, right? Now, Acts chapter 5, verse 15, and Acts chapter 19, verse 11, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to these two accounts because I want to show you Peter and I want to show you Paul. In Acts chapter 5, verse, let's see, 14. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. And to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any of them, one of them. This is fascinating to me. And also the people from the cities and the vicinity in Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. This isn't just for the third world. This wasn't just for 2,000 years ago. The advent of modern medicine and so forth, there's still, let's face it, crippling, terrible things that are exhausting the systems and man's attempts, uh, even stellar attempts and even achievements and even improvements still don't touch all the needs of humanity. But I'm telling you, God does. And even where they tried to get in Peter's shadow and uh, the, it just tended to get in the vicinity with a believer that had an encounter with God and that had signs and wonders following. And the Lord was adding, constantly adding to their number in this atmosphere. Everybody say Peter's shadow. Peter. Now let's look at Acts chapter 19. And this is talking about Paul the Apostle. And um, this, is, this is just a reinforcement of Acts chapter 1. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Acts chapter 19, verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. God was performing. See, God does the miracles, but he did it through the agency of the, of the hands of Paul. Remember in Mark 16, 16, it says, They'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick. And the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. Can I hear an amen? amen? That is captivating information. That goes right along with John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. We're created in Christ for good works. You're anointed, empowered. You have God's purpose in your life. Amen. You have the precedence of the New Testament. 
you see what God was doing there. You see the peril. You see the people afraid of COVID-19. You see people worried about uh, diabetes. You see them upset about heart conditions. There are people that are freaking out right now, and they need a fresh touch from God. They need the miraculous. They need the supernatural. And they need people that are going to honor God and believe him for this. Go to Acts chapter 10, verse 38. This was Peter's message after Cornelius had gotten saved. This is what he, he said to the Gentiles that came along. Not only did, not only did uh, the centurion come, but a whole bunch of people came. And they got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, and it freaked out the Jewish believers. So what is happening? It was a transitional moment in their lives, and they're trying to grapple with it. And uh, opening his mouth, he said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, meaning he not only loves the Jewish people, he also loves the non-Jews. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. This is revolutionary to this man's locked-up mind mindset. He said, the word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting with Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. So, so the last several weeks, I've been teaching you the thing which took place throughout Judea. What is the thing that took place? Zacchaeus, the businessman, climbed the sycamore tree, had an encounter with Jesus, and got radically changed. Over and over again, so many different, I've, I've itemized several of them. There's several miracles that happen, and the names of the people and the examples of the, uh, as such, uh, the centurion's servant. He said, just speak the word only, and my servant will be healed. Conversely, in Mark chapter 6, in Nazareth, he could there do no mighty works, and he marveled at their unbelief because they had something called the sin of familiarity. Isn't this just the carpenter's son? And in that, then, he could there do no mighty works, except lay his hands on a few sick folk and heal them, me meaning with minor ailments. So even the Lord Jesus was abated and hindered by the atmosphere and climate of unbelief. On the other hand, there were attributions to people, like the centurion, I haven't seen such great faith in all of Israel, like the woman with the hemorrhage, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Over and over again, he affirmed uh, he saw in Mark chapter 2 when those friends tore the roof off the building in, in uh, Capernaum to lower the paralytic friend into the crowded room. Jesus forgave him of his sins and freaked everybody out. Who can forgive sins but God only? Then he healed him. So he, he got up, take up your bed and walk. How, how many of you think, I mean, I'm telling you, that guy thought it was wonderful. The four that helped him lower him into the roof thought it was wonderful. The roof repair company thought it was wonderful. They had to call Frederick Roofing so they could get that fixed. They made some cash off of that. <laughs> but here are people who are watching this, and, and they're learning that Jesus is the firstborn of many brethren, and that he is not going to let these miracles stop in his life. He, he's not like, I'm just revealing, I'm just confirming uh, with attesting miracles, my deity, he's also saying, you go into all the world, you preach the gospel with signs and wonders following. And I do not believe these gifts have ceased in our day because certainly the needs are bearing down as intensified probably. I didn't live through World War II. It had to be a harsh environment. 
Europe had already had World War I, trench warfare, it was terrible. That hundreds of thousands of lives lost. Second World War, terrible. The Great Depression, rationing. My, my wife's parents, they grew up with rationing. We, li we, go to, we lived in England, there was such a rationing mentality still there. We drove, we drove by, the, they had memorials in Liverpool of bombed, the, the cathedral that was bombed, they just let the rubble stand. We, we spoke to eyewitnesses about it and how they felt. They, then we had a lady named Auntie Millie that, that uh, when our daughter was a little toddler, and she was so gracious to us, she was an on-fire, white-haired, elegant British Christian. And she told us that every time they'd have a bomb, uh, she said there would be an air raid. She said, I noticed people were very receptive to the gospel the next day. She said, I would put my son in a pram. Uh, I, I had to get an education. A pram is a, is a, is a baby carriage or a buggy. And uh, she put gospel tracts in there and she said people would, she, people, she said nobody ever turned them down. And she, she was this lady that had a little child in war-torn Liverpool that was bombed, you know, London was the most, I think Birmingham second, Liverpool third, or they were tied, terrible. But yet she, with her calling to communicate the gospel, would go out and share the gospel in that context. Listen, the context I got saved in was Vietnam, race, race relations were, were challenging, people were hostile. We had a race riot at our school and it was closed for two weeks between the, the, the Hispanic kids and the, and the Caucasian or the, the white kids or however it all played out. I remember earlier than that, the Watts riots up the street from where I lived, one of my relatives got hit in the face. You know, you just, that comes home vividly to you. You grow up in that and it's turbulent and you see the contrast and the fast paced changes. That was my world. And yet in that world was not, I don't think as harsh, of course, as World War II was for the people that were in the footprint of war. Reinhard Bonnke talked to me about how when he was five and they had to evacuate, he explained the carnage that he saw on his way to, he, he told me this personally, and I could tell it still imprinted trauma in his life. And, he, and then he said after the war, they were the hated nation, and he had to live in an internment camp and the different things like that. He said it was, it was a hard way to live and grow up, and yet, nevertheless, the firm foundation of the Lord stands. And so the Jesus movement that hit my youth uh, was helpful because looking back, it was God's way of providing help when there was so much social turbulence, so much anxiety, so much in that time division between generations. Our music was totally different. Our culture was changing fast. There was like a heavy underappreciation one to the other. And there was a huge sense of entitlement that was coming on my generation. A lot of rebellion, a lot of disrespect to authority, challenging all that kind of stuff. But in the midst of that, and then there were cults, there was all the hard drugs that came in and killed any of the idyllic aspects of the peace part and the love part of that component that all left and got overlaid by the hazards of, of harsh drugs and substance abuse. People were dying, I remember a kid in my school dying in jail on, under the influence of secondol, a, a depressant. He died in jail. And, I, right, you know, and I'm, a, I'm a young person. That got real. And um, I, I think God began to stir a hunger in me and made me uh, pray 
I, I was in, I was, I asked God, if you're real, please show me. And uh, it, it, it wasn't prompted by watching anything on TV or having anybody talk to me and we weren't in church, but the Lord was drawing me. And then he provided two different witnesses, one that came to my house and invited me to church, and then the other one that picked me up hitchhiking from my, my restaurant job. I'm a product of those behaviors. So now I'm a pastor all these years later, and according to Ephesians chapter four, I feel responsible to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. And I feel responsible to bring uh, stimulation in your thinking for the possibility that signs and wonders could actually follow you as you believe. Yeah. That when you pray for the sick, they'll recover. Yeah. That when you share the gospel, God will use it and they'll come to know the Lord. Yeah. That God answers your prayer. That God uses your witness. That God wants to use your space. Peter's shadow, Paul's apron. Yeah. Are you kidding me? What? It's trying to make a point about how the anointing and the impartation and the power of the Holy Spirit is so substantial that it'll get in an atmosphere of a shadow. There's nothing magical about a shadow. There's nothing magical about an apron or a handkerchief. It's just cloth. See, yet, though, what it reinforces is that God did extraordinary miracles through their hands. And in, in Acts chapter 4, when they gathered together to pray, they prayed, Lord, stretch forth your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders would take place through the name of your son, Jesus. Well, they had seen him stretch forth his hand to heal. Remember when he came down off the mountain in, in the book of Matthew and, the, and their crowds were gathered following him. And then that's the, the leper. So many antagonistic questions from the scribes and the Pharisees to catch him in his words. But this guy wasn't asking an antagonistic question to try to trick him. He just said, Lord, if you will, you can make me whole. You can, you can heal me. And, and Jesus I mean, the guy was a leper. Everybody knew he was a leper, so it was probably clear that he had leprosy. And he, he said, I, I'm willing. And he stretched forth his hand, put it on his head, and I think the rest is history. I think then we need to understand God's will is for people to be healed. Go to Acts chapter 10 now. That we're here now. Let's go to verse 38. It says, you yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea. What are the things that took place throughout all Judea? He fed the 5,000 with a boy's five loaves and two fish. But now today, if, you did, if he did that, people would ask, is this gluten-free bread? And they would ask, has this fish been checked for mercury? Or I'm a vegan, no thank you, right? Come on, you guys, help me out. I was funny then. He said, Peter said, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. We are witnesses of all these things. Say this with me. We are witnesses of all these things. This is why I've been preaching out of the Gospels on Friday night so that you can join in with these, this, this assertion and say, we know the thing which took place throughout Judea. I mean, I went down the list. I preached all these different uh, cases of the miraculous, of the supernatural. Now, we're going into the book of Acts and we're seeing the people that turned the world upside down have come here also. We see now that 
people are hurting and that we're called to help them. Even for believers, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all, Psalm 34, 19. And uh, the, the verse is not declaring that you and I are going to suffer all our lives. And I, I'm not, I don't embrace the theology that there's redemption, redemptive value in suffering. I don't have that in my theology. It's just the result of the fall. It's the result of sin. And, and sickness and oppression are never a cure for it. Like, I'm, God's teaching me things through all this. Well, we do learn through our experiences of life, but sin and suffering are two ominous figures that have dogged the footprints of humanity ever since the fall of man. Jesus came to do away with sin and suffering and sickness. He came to destroy the works of the devil, and he anointed you and me to carry on in his mission to win people to the Lord. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. It says that Acts chapter 10, verse 38, we see this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil. The word oppressed it can also be translated tyrannized, like the tyrant, the devil, tormenting people. When the Bible describes afflictions, they're described as captivity, bondage, oppression, and tyranny. And that God has actually called us to do something about it and to go into all the world with the expectation that our prayers are gonna break the chains off of people. Preaching the gospel will get results. And I'm telling you, we need to believe God for the miraculous like never before. God is supernatural. God is faithful to his word. And we can trust him to lead us and guide us. Now, there are seven points I have for you on how to flow in the miraculous. If you're a note taker, number one, first of all, fellowship with God because he, after all, is miraculous. You hang out with God, personality traits rub off. Bad company corrupts good morals. How many of us got in trouble for picking the wrong friends growing up? Or were the wrong friend? The influencer or the influencee, we took, we took turns on that. But yet, God is impeccable and he's supernatural and he's extraordinary. And as you fellowship with God, he's miraculous. They could tell, you know, Peter and John were uneducated. They didn't have the advantage of all the, the training. And yet they could tell they had been with Jesus. They wanted to just even get in the shadow. <laughs> Paul would take off his handkerchief or his apron. He, was a, he made tents. So these were his work clothes. There's nothing fancy pants about this. It just describes and defines that the substance and power of the Holy Spirit gets on people. And number two, here, here's what you want. If you want to flow in the miraculous, read the Bible. It documents the miraculous. This is how Peter was able to say, you know what happened, the thing which took place throughout all Judea. And they had to call it the thing that took place. Man, that is a thing that took place. What was the thing that took place? Whole households were saved. Lives were turned around. People suspended their hunger and just hung out by the water. It got to the point where Jesus had to get in a boat and get out into the water because the shore was so jam-packed. 
And I've been on those shorelines and where there's nowhere to go. I mean, he could have waded out a little bit up to, you know, his knees, ankles or whatever. Then he finally had to get in a boat and get far enough out. And I imagine people waded out as far as they could till they're, they're probably the real fervent ones who were like. And I imagine Jesus preaching and he'd be like, man, you are really dedicated, man. <laughs> and then he said, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Sickness is oppression by the devil. Sin is oppression from the devil. Torment, bondage, captivity came. Listen, read Luke 4 quoted from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Lord has anointed me. Meditate on that and read about the the, the job description of the head of the church so that you and I, we, at this hour, can find and get a hold of this. I mean, this is a transitional moment. You don't really need me to tell you. Uh, October 30th, 2020 is historical. This weekend is historical. These next few days and the beginning of next week is probably one of the most significant times in my life, and I'm over 28 years old. I've been through a thing or two at this point. I am, that's true. Now, there are many pressures for the righteous. We're on an uphill journey. We're in an obstacle course. Every turn in the road is, is, is a pressure point. In the uh, Septuagint, the Old Testament Greek, they translated it because it was, the world was Hellenized and the main language was Koine Greek. And that's a good thing for us because the Bible has been given to us in Greek. And they were, if it, had, you know, it then was able to spread, and so many people understood Greek. They didn't, not many knew, understood Hebrew, but a lot of people understood Greek. So there were 70 that translated the Septuagint. Septuagint means 70. So they were trans, early translators in the ancient world that translated the Old Testament, and they translated that word afflictions, flipsis, which means pressure. Anybody notice there's been a little bit of pressure? I remember pressure before I became a Christian. I was so lost. My conclusion was, God, if you're real, show me. The pressure was so strong that a lost secular kid was starting to desire something spiritually, something real. And there were cults. There were all kinds of, there was, things were trending toward Eastern mysticism and things were popularized by the pop stars. And it just... I wanted to know truth. I didn't want any, I didn't want to play any esoteric mind games. I wanted some truth. And Jesus is the truth. And God sent a girl named Jill to invite me to church for, it took me one uh, every week for a month. And, um, and then the guy, the Vietnam veteran that drove 10 miles out of his way and told me about Jesus. And neither of them really got it how impacted I was by them. I never saw the Vietnam vet again. He probably had no exciting feelings like I had responded. I didn't cry, I didn't pray with him, but I cried and I prayed when I got home. And I'll look him up in heaven and I'll be hanging out with him because I owe everything to his obedience. And I love Billy Graham and what he did and I think it's stellar. We lived in a time where no man had individually spoken to that many people about Jesus in the history of the world. And with Bonky, he was a precedent setter. And I saw, I looked around and I saw three quarters of a million people gathered at one time. I wanted to go to Woodstock and I'm glad my dad didn't let me go 
from California to, to New York hitchhiking with Tony Della Marna when I was 13 years old. Thank God he said no. I would have gone. I was hitchhiking everywhere at 13 years old, and I was going, hey, Dad, hey, I want to go to a concert. Really? Yeah, it's in New York. He goes, he's reading the paper. I tried to figure out a way to do my, well, Mom said to talk to you, that kind of whole thing. And he was reading the paper. I thought he was going to be like, whatever, do whatever you want. Go ask your mother. And then I'd be, I'd have been gone. And then I never would have come back. I would still be there. But then later on, God, God made sure he set people up that had been deployed, that had been activated. People like you, people that with the same kinds of pressures, occasions of insecurity, same kind of levels of distraction, the same kind of ups and downs emotionally, and yet carrying the truth of the gospel, fellowshipping with God, spending time in the word, and praying about things every day. Number three, if you want to move in the supernatural, the miraculous, pray about it every day. The Bible says, covet earnestly spiritual gifts. Ask God to use you. One time Patsy and I prayed, uh, I think it was New Year's, and we prayed, God, send us to somebody close to eternity, somebody, a person closest to eternity. So we ran into a guy named Eddie. Eddie was suicidal. Eddie had been a little bit, he had been drinking, and we got to lead Eddie to the Lord. Then we took him to a meeting, and we were up in the balcony. He got saved, and there was a great preacher there, a famous preacher, doing a great job, and Eddie was up in the balcony, and anytime the preacher said anything that was distinct or strong that it impacted Eddie, Eddie didn't say hallelujah. Eddie did not say amen. Eddie cussed. And he cussed loud, and everybody saw that Eddie was with us. And uh, there are kids in here, so you don't cuss. But this guy was so lost, that's all he knew in his vocabulary. But Eddie got saved. Everybody say, but Eddie got saved. And Eddie's since passed, but it was beautiful. He didn't, he didn't die at his own hand like he had threatened. And God delivered him, and he got saved. And this is what I want to tell you. These signs will follow those who believe. He is supernatural and we could trust him. And ask God to just give you opportunity. And number four, stay open to God's leadership. Stay open to God's leadership. Pray big prayers. Be available to people. Be willing to share. Don't be intimidated. Number five, value and honor yourself. If you want to move in the miraculous, you're going to have to value and honor yourself. You're going to have to just say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and that my soul knows very well. Before God formed me in my mother's womb, he knew me. You say, well, I don't want to get puffed up with pride. You won't. That's like people were belittling. Who was the guy that was the Aust Austrian governor of California? Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. So Arnold Schwarzenegger was one of the beginning bodybuilders. He was so ambitious. He came from Austria. He could barely speak English. He became a bodybuilder. Then he became an actor. Then he became the governor of California. And people would hate on him because he was so big. And they'd say, I, I don't want to get like you. He said, don't worry, you won't. <laughs> he had a strong, high-level self-esteem. 
I have a friend who ran into him by Santa Monica Pier, and um, he was at the time the governor, and he was with his wife, Maria Shriver, at the time, and, and uh, this person was talking to, to him about some of the desperate situations in the state of California, and he said, we must help California, you know, and he meant it, he meant it. I think he had a sense of destiny in his life. Yeah, and I, in fact, I heard him on Tom Snyder's uh, TV broadcast so many years ago when he was so young. He looked like a kid. I was, I was much younger than him, but I watched this guy and I thought, man, this guy's pretty confident. But he felt like he had a destiny. And uh, in fact, he did. And uh, why, would I, why would I parallel that? Because you have a destiny. Because you are loved by God. I know this because the Bible says so. I'm not trying to overstimulate you. It just is what it is. If God would have his son die for your sins, then that marks you as valuable and important to him. And if he's given you this word, even right now, having me preach this on live stream and to you in this moment where we're supposed to be quarantined and socially distanced and with all these issues and hospitals and ventilators and all the stuff we're hearing right now, in an election period that is one of the most mud-slingingly weird we've ever seen, yeah. I'm feeling like this is a prophetic word from God. And this would also include, you just have to get up and go, man, I am what I am by the grace of God. Yeah. Chester, Illinois, the guy that was the creator of Popeye, I am that I am, and that's all that I am. <laughs> Paul the Apostle, he ripped it off from Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Before Popeye and spinach, Paul the Apostle said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Say this with me. I am what I am by the grace of God. That grace does not prove vain either. Listen, number six, after you value and honor yourself, love others. Love others. We're supposed to even love our enemies. So we carry value. Love is value. Love is, you, you know that that's someone for whom Jesus died. And we walk in love. That's why that'll help us with our temper, not to get overly angry. Be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. The anger of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. Anger is a good emotion but when it's kept in check. But we've got to deal with it, and we've got to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And we've got to just walk in love. Everybody take a big, deep breath. And say, I'm a love creature. You want to walk in the supernatural, you got to love people. Jesus was moved with compassion. And that was the atmosphere most conducive for the miraculous. Last point. Step out in faith and trust God that he will use you. Step out in faith and trust God that he will use you. We started this church, we felt like, I fasted for 21 days about it. I had, uh, I had a year sabbatical in my early 30s. I said, God, why aren't you telling me what to do next? He goes, because you'll just start trying to do it and get all worked up and you need to take a break. My body, I was emaciated. I looked like a friend who was about 68 years old and I was 32 years old. Remember, I was all diminished and all weak from stress and just not taking care of myself. And um, I mean, you thought I was Arnold Schwarzenegger's body double at this point. I'm, I'm actually healthier and more fit than I was then. And I was in my early 30s. 
But spiritually, God was calling us to build a home base in Chesterfield from which to reach the nations of the world, that it was to be a home base and a sending station where people would refuel, and that the ministry was primarily to be set into emotion so that we could equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. And all the best times we've had here lined in with that. When we would, for example, hear the word and then get opportunity to go and take action on it. So that it's not just theoretical overphrasing and we're not just imbibing ourselves on meetings, but we're actually meeting together in order to get filled and strengthened and get made confident and get on track and get our faith stirred so we can go out and lay hands on the sick that they'll recover, preach the gospel. We've got to be aware of our moment and recognize that we've been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. There are perilous times in the earth, but we've received a kingdom which cannot be shaken. We've been given this category one message that will set people free. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. His blood speaks a better word. The songs we, we sang, what's the better word? That you call upon the name of Jesus. It'll eradicate the sin condition. It'll, it'll liberate you and set you free. There are people writing books trying to downplay faith right now, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. Don't even read that garbage, man. Stay in the word because God is pleased with faith. The just shall live by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. He told, said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. He told those guys, he saw their faith when they, he, they tore the roof off the building. He saw your faith when you got up in the car and you got to church when you turned this on, when you stayed on this, when people were texting you and you kept watching. When you have 50 million options with widescreen whatever. And it's like, wait a minute, I'm hungry for God. Everybody say, wait a minute, I'm hungry for God. These signs shall follow me because I'm a believer. I believe in revival in the church and a harvest amongst the lost. I believe alcoholics can be delivered. I believe people can be healed of cancer. I believe people can get life extensions. People who have lost loved ones can be comforted, can have a new life. Lives can be restored, bodies made whole, whole areas and towns can be saved. This gospel of Jesus is going forth in power with signs and wonders following. In Jesus' name, amen.